says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me on this week's NRL and Parramatta News Podcast to talk all things rugby league are my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, it's another wet Tuesday. It feels like there's been a few of them lately. Uh, but how are you holding up coming off that bye week? Mate, I tried to get straight back into the swing of it today. Caught a little bit of Eels training. Uh, later in the morning, uh, this morning, I know that we had a bye last weekend, but you know, got the got the footy fix in with covering the jersey flag there on Saturday. So, you know what? I'm just ready to get back and rip in with a an NRL clash that's probably one of the most important matches of the year for us because I think it really could set up how we roll into this run into the finals. So I'm really pumped about this weekend, mate. What about you, Clint? How are you feeling? Yeah, feeling pretty fresh, gents. Um, but I tell you what, after seeing some of that origin news yesterday, I was half expecting Brad to give me a call because we've had to uh, fill some spots that we may, we're not necessarily been anticipating <laughs> going into this round. So um, unfortunately, Brad hasn't reached out and the team list has been named. So I'll be taking my place in the stands with you lovely fellas instead. <laughs> oh, look, I, this is this is disappointing because, you know, former Eels Jet Squad member Clint G declaring himself available but not getting the phone call. I don't know, no, I, no, I don't no. know if I could be more disappointed now. <laughs> no, 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 no. None of, none, none of that. I'm comfortable. I am very comfortable, very comfortable up in the stand watching. No, there is there. You couldn't pay me enough to play rugby league. <laughs> comfortable, comfortable in your footy retirement, you old bastard. <laughs> All righty. And before we get into it, guys, as always, a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narellon, and Parramatta, helping us get this show out each and every episode. And let's get into it now, boys. News team, assemble! Well, fellas, of course, the big news this week has been the naming of the New South Wales origin team. There's obviously there was a bit of news around with the Queensland team. And from our perspective, having Jermaine Hopgood as 19th man there, which is a fantastic acknowledgement for him. But yes, that big news is around the New South Wales origin team. The ramifications for Parramatta is what we'll start off with. We'll cover this now in our Eels News segment. We'll get to the full New South Wales origin selection takes in our NRL section. But for now, as far as the Eels are concerned, it means we go in to the match against the Warriors without Mitch Moses, without Regan Campbell-Gillard, without Clint Gutherson. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a huge ask once again, repeating, we are the only club in the NRL that has had to stand down players 
for all three Origin games. No other club has had to do that. It's either a massive oversight from the NRL or something else. But we are the only club that has had to do that. And we've got that the big test now this week because we're effectively going into the match against the Warriors with none of our starting spine from this year because we've got uh, Hojo out injured, being ably, of course, replaced by Brendan Hands. No Dylan Brown, no Mitch Moses, no Clint Gutherson. And without our ace prop in Regan Campbell-Gillard, uh, it's almost was a blessing in disguise, although I'm sure Junior doesn't feel this way, and, I'm, and he's very definitely been wronged in being dropped. But I would have hated to have had to go into the game against the Warriors without Junior as well. But, um, John, first of all, what, what's your thoughts about where we are around these origin selections? I mean, you always celebrate when your your boys get picked. All the girls, too, are for women's state of origin, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, we know that the Blues are an absolute mess right now. And getting thrown into a dead rubber, um, you know, there's still plenty of merit when it comes to their individual career accolades for Mitch, uh, Clint and uh, Reg. Uh, Reg. Uh, and, you know, especially someone like Reg, who has been uh, bizarrely not a fixture of the Blues organisation for the last few seasons, despite being a top, you know, free prop in the game. Yeah, it's, uh, as a fan, it leaves me very mixed uh, in terms of how I perceive it, because obviously this is a critical juncture of our season. Like you said, 60s, this is an incredibly high leverage game. When you look at how our draw plays out going into the run to the finals, and the fact that the Warriors are one of those real upstart uh, top eight and top four contenders... Uh, yeah, this is a, a very much a high leverage game, and a win here really opens up a path to climb the ladder. A loss here doesn't mean you're you know out of the running by any means, but it does complicate matters. So losing Guffo and Reg uh, when they were seen as you know not required at all for years now is a bit frustrating, um, and especially and I know we're going to talk about it very very shortly, but especially when you see the way that the New South Wales hierarchy have carried themselves and how they've conducted themselves, and how they've communicated these changes. Uh, it, Yeah, it, it is a real mess up there in New South Wales' uh, origin uh, camp right now. Clint, the, the way that this draw has panned out for the Eels, uh, as John said, we obviously want to celebrate Eels players who are selected, but, you know... Is it going to be beneficial for them playing an origin match under these conditions? I know what the player's answer would be to this, but what's what's your take? Well, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, gents. And, you know, um, I think I've even said to you both in, in, in little tidbits over the course of the last six or so weeks, um, and, you know, obviously this is the match in which we've had the most amount of um, origin players selected. Um, across the course of the series, it should be a celebratory moment, but the circumstances don't make it that, and it feels very bittersweet, you know, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit more later, but if our guys weren't good enough for Freddie when it mattered, when the series was on the line and, and being contested, then I kind of have an opinion and to, um, to add to what you said there in, in, in sort of the way that the, um, the New South Wales hierarchy have, have carried themselves, John, then they don't really deserve us to have to have our guys help them save face um, right. over our time of need at this 
critical junction point in our season. It's a season-defining game on the weekend. And while half the comp has the buy and we haven't had a, a single buy in origin-affected games, uh, you know, the New South Wales hierarchy could have picked their experimental players from those sides instead. You know, I'm sure our guys are, are, are very proud and, and to represent our state and, you know, they'll they'll do so with um, with plenty of vigour, but, you know, it, it, it kind of feels like it's at the um, at the expense of the Eels club itself and something, you know, and we're playing, we're playing the only side in the whole competition at this point that are unaffected by origin in the New Zealand Warriors. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. Well, of course, people would now know through our revelation about the fact that the Eels are the only club that doesn't have, uh, that has to play every one of our um, uh, matches before the origin and that we don't get any buys, that we have to stand players down. <laughs> the, the ridiculousness is that the Warriors got a buy in one of those rounds where they, they're, they're a team that doesn't have to stand down players, yet they received a buy in one of those pre-origin rounds. Um, but I can see how we need to celebrate for the players and it's a it's a fantastic achievement that they can feel proud of. Uh, their moments that they would dream of pulling on the, the origin jersey, no matter the circumstances, they're going to be they're going to be very proud of what they've uh, achieved here. It in one sense I'd normally I'd normally be really excited about watching an origin game with that many Eels players in it. In this instance, I think I'm going to be sitting on the edge of my seat hoping that there's no injuries to mm-hmm. them. Um, time. But, but the, the big thing now is a revelation that came out in on NRL 360 last night when Greg Alexander was talking to Brent Reed, well, actually was reacting to Brent Reed with regard to questions around the selection of Bradman Best and objecting to uh, the suggestions that Bradman Best was there on the basis of one big performance against the Bulldogs on the weekend. Now, the revelation being that he said that there had Bradman Best had been discussed prior to this, that he'd been part of the discussions basically through the origin that his name was coming up, that um, Matt Burton was someone obviously that had been discussed, that uh, Tango from the, um, the Panthers, am I pronouncing that correctly? I want to make sure that I get that the pronunciation of his name correctly. I, I think it's Isaac Tungor, but I could be, I could be mistaken. Tungor, Tungor. Okay. Yeah. That's probably better. That, that does ring a bell. Tungor from the, from the Panthers that he'd been discussed, that Will Penasini had not been discussed. It explains now, a lot. <laughs> now, obviously the take that we've got around this origin team selection is, we wouldn't have wanted him selected in the, <laughs> under these circumstances. So the, this is this is where it, it's a it's a little bit of a funny take to have with this. But at the same time, you go, how is it? I mean, we all know Bradman Best has got talent, right? 
but he has had far from an impressive season in a Knights team that has struggled. And someone uh, such as Will Pensini has has had a, a, an extremely good season, has basically played over the top of a lot of the opponents that he's faced this year. And is he's of a... Is he of a, a? I think he's a little bit younger than Bradman Best, but if you if you're comparing form, you go well. It, how has he never? <laughs> how has he never been discussed? It explains a lot, Sixties. It explains oh, a well, great look, deal about what's wrong with New South Wales. The fact that not that Will didn't get picked. I'm okay if we're not getting picked. If they've gone, could Tony Staggs have gone? Isaac Tungle if they've gone? Uh, any of the other options there? Uh, even if they'd gone Bradman Best, who I don't think should have been picked, but uh, they went with him over Will after Will was considered. But it explains so much as to why New South Wales gets it. It's, you know, not only does it get the games wrong, but right from day dot, right from when they put that team together, they're already been beaten by Queensland. Well, what about last year where you had Talakai had an enormous half of football, half a game of football, against Manly, ran over the top of Morgan Harper a number of times in the first half, basically then wasn't cited in the second half. And, you know, whether you blame him or or the inside men for not getting the ball out to him in the second half. But apart from that, you wouldn't say he had a season where he was running rampant, but essentially on the back of that one New South Wales selection last year. And then you think, how is it? possible about Brandon Best having a, having a big game and then it was selected and then well yeah as you said the blueprint's there it's happened before oh yeah yeah and once it's, once again and, and, unfortunately it seems like there's a bit of a boys club culture uh, where they've got their guys that they want to try and find a way to get into the team yeah and and we probably um, I, I don't know if you want to add anything Clint here because we will get onto this more of a general origin selections um back in the NRL news section. Um, so I don't want to dive too much into it here because we've got the Eels news to get through. Have you got anything to say with regard to, to Will Penasini not even being there in discussions? It's just bizarre that he it, it, it's a name that wouldn't have come up. You know, like he, you, you'd think that in the selection room, there's a, a, a profile on almost any possible player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, you know, like even if the, even if the discussion is, Look, this person, uh, this play, player X has played um, 10 games this year. They're, they're averaging a tackle efficiency of 88%, averaging 140 metres per game. Um, they're in a successful side. Um, I'm, I'm just throwing arbitrary numbers here. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if that's uh, actually what exactly. Will Penasini's numbers are. Or I, I know that they're more. I think he's played 16 games and scored seven tries this year. But, um, you know, it's um, you, you, what, what do we all think? Yay, nay. You know, you think at, the, at an absolute base level that that discussion would happen. You know, it's, it's not as though these guys aren't watching football and paid to play and analyze, um, paid to watch players play and analyze that play mm-hmm. um, in their regular media jobs. So you'd think at the very least, they'd go, what do you think of, what do you think of X? These these are just these are water cooler discussions. It's like the baseline you'd with expect. people around the around the country, yeah. or um, every year in the lead up to Origin, you'd go, "Oh, Jesus, plays going okay." Do you think he'd get he'd get picked? You know, it's it's 
it just seems weird. It's bizarre. The fact that yeah. you know what I'll tell you what I think what I think has happened there, and uh, and and again I don't want to jump too far ahead because of uh, what we plan to discuss later. But it seems to me that probably the most of the discussions were uh, where can we fit all these fullbacks in uh, at centre, right? Because the <laughs> fact that because the fact that Campbell Graham couldn't get selected in the first two games, and I know he's got an injury issue now. But the fact that he wasn't selected for the first two games and you have someone like Will Pensini isn't even spoken about. I mean, like I think I think we could have all even handled if Alexander's answer had been, uh, look, we, we have spoken a little bit about Will Pensini, a, bit, a little someone, bit about Tungor, the future. Um, yeah. you know, but when he said, no, we haven't even talked about him and you go, hang on. He's one of the form players at centre. Yeah. Again, then, it just spe- it speaks to the fact that New South Wales don't take their job as serious as they need to. You should be, you should have, honestly, a dossier on all 17 clubs, mm-hmm. every New South Wales eligible talent in each position, and then, you know, you could obviously rank them how you want differently after that, but the fact that you don't even consider someone that's been one of the elite centres of the season is just such a damning indictment. Like I said, it just it speaks volumes as to how the battle's already lost by the time teams are announced in State of Origin. Well, let's now bounce into how those Eels selections have impacted the NRL team selections and and a little bit with the uh, New South Wales Cup. John, you've already posted Team List Tuesday, mm-hmm. so what's the what's the main takes out of that around the how we fill in those holes from Origin selections? Well, uh, prior to the sort of the uh, Origin leaks, we all figured we'd be having to replace uh, the half and five eighth. Uh, because there'd be no Moses and well, Dejan's there, but he would slide from 5'8 to halfback. So we knew it'd be Dejan and Ryan Madison almost certainly, but the one that really got us was Guffer being caught in. So Brad Arthur had to scramble to get that one done. Um, he's turned to Sean Russell, boys, to be the fullback or the, uh, the King's Hand, as I put it on Team West Tuesday, the guy <laughs> to replace Guffer. Uh, the back line is uh, otherwise unchanged on the left with Mike Acevo and Bowie Simonson still uh, working that side. But on the right, uh, replacing Sean Russell is Isaac Loomy Loomy, which is probably going to be the big talking point because Sean Russell has been a fullback in the past, uh, but Loomy Loomy has jumped both Hayes Dunster and Wonga Blake to partner Will Penasini on the right edge. We mentioned it's Maddo and Arcee in the halves. Uh, Offiki Ogden gets the start with Reagan Campbell-Gillard called into origin. Junior Barlow will also start for the Eels after he was the unfortunate victim of that big reshuffle at the Blues. Brendan Hands is the lone uh, first choice, or was not even really the first choice, I suppose, uh, spine player, but our current first choice, uh, Dunny Huff, and he's done a great job there. Uh, but in the back row, Bryce Cartwright, Andrew Davey, both names start here. Sean Lane is back, but he's on the interchange. Jermaine Hopgood is at lock forward. He'll be back from Queensland camp. He's the 19th man, so he won't be called on for game day responsibilities. Uh, but yeah, he's getting that good exposure there. Uh, on the interchange, Luca Murdy, Joe Ofengahi, Sean Lane finally back from that big hamstring injury. Mac Hesse Makatoa rounds it out. Uh, the extended roster is Dunster, Blake, Rodwell, Dory, and Murchie. The officials this week, and Adam G for the main whistle, Casey Badger in the box, and you got uh, Ultram and uh, Preslaska Adamski on the flanks as the touchies. Now, I, just before we get into our discussion about that, uh, was any flow-on effect really with the uh, New South Wales Cup without actually going through the entire team? Anything of note in terms of um, players that are that are missing or players that have come? back into New South Wales Cup or we, we pretty much just got the same team with holes filled by, um, you know, Wenty 
Uh, uh, she'll look, the, cup, Massey cup. the Cup does get some reinforcements at dummy half this week. Jaden Yates and Jacob Davis are back, so they're going to be the battery of dummy halves there in that grade, which will hopefully help them a bit. Uh, otherwise, there's a bit more young talent in the squad. Arthur Mill Stephen gets to play consecutive Cup games since making his return from a shoulder injury. Jonte Jr. and Beth Mies is back up in this grade with Tony Matelli and Brock Parker as the other young kids in the middle there helping uh, this team hopefully compete against the pretty talented New Zealand Warriors outfit. Well, I think Craig Brennan's going to be a bit disappointed to to lose Brock Parker there. Um, I mean, when I say disappointed, he's going to be pleased for Brock and any of his young charges that get elevated to New South Wales Cup. But, um, you know, that's I guess that's a lot of a Jersey flag coach, isn't it? When your, your young blokes are, are called up to play New South Wales Cup, you see their elevation to senior grades, but at the same time, you're a bit disappointed to lose them. So let's get back to the NRL team there. Um, Clint, your takes on the move of Russell to fullback and Lumi Lumi to the wing. Um, you know, once Gutha was selected, I, I, uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, and, and, and your heads both went to this as well. Um, Sean seemed like the, the natural selection uh, at fullback, given he's, he's played a bit of time there through, um, throughout all the grades. Um, obviously a very different style of fullback to Gutho. Um you know, he, he, he isn't he isn't as uh, dare I say he isn't the um the passing option that Gutho is. But we know that we're gonna get as much effort we we're gonna get effort on effort from from Sean. You know, um, obviously it'll test him out a little bit aerobically at that level, having to um having to move from side to side, having having played largely on the wing at centre in first grade in his career to date. But um yeah, look, I was as surprised as probably most Eels fans were to see um Isaac Lumi when they called up. Um there's obviously reason behind that, um, but you know the, the the thing that I'm actually kind of happy with is that there's some continuity in the side that's been winning the the last few weeks, and it would have been very easy for Brad to naturally shift Sean Landscape back into the starting side, and you know he is a he is a starter, but given some of the other changes that had happened, I'm actually glad that the forward pack has largely remained intact. You know, it would have been tempting to put Andrew Davy back to the bench and and Sean Lane in there, but you know there, there's Science probably over the last three games that there's a little bit of a combination happening between Dejan Arcee and um, and Andrew Davy. You know, we saw that nice try that um, Davy scored to open up the account against the Dolphins in our most recent match. Um, you know, they seem to be comfortable defending um, next to each other as well. Uh, you don't want to be um, making a whole bunch of wholesale changes. It also allows Sean the opportunity to, to to ease his way back in after a long layoff and. You know, there's probably some um, managing of minutes being done by the, um, the physical performance team there as well. So, look, you know, all things considered, I'm actually kind of happy with the side that's been named, um, you know, given who is and isn't available. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, it, it, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous going into this one, gents, because, um, you know, very much like what we said in um, leading into the game against Manly, this is a, a game that will call for high completions and, and a lot of control. Yeah, absolutely. John, your takes on the selection of Lumi Lumi ahead of Hayes Dunster and Wonga Blake. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken of Hayes at length this season, We, you know, mostly from a perspective of being understanding, knowing that he's coming back from a full knee reconstruction where you know his entire knee got shredded in that trial game against the Dragons so I'm, I'm still very much advocating patience for him and 
him being overlooked here, certainly I wouldn't put it anywhere near uh, a death knell in his NRL career. It's more, once again, part of the recovery process. Uh, for Wanga, uh, it's hard to get a gauge too because he can't, he played his first game reserve grade going back a few a few months, uh, busted his shoulder or collarbone, came back and then got nicked up again. So I don't know. It, it is very hard to get a bead on where they are with uh, their their sort of depth options in the backs. Uh, Lumi, that sort of leaves Lumi. Lumi is the only real option, I suppose, if you're looking for a, an out-and-out winger. And he hasn't been fantastic in reserve grade, but that's sort of the hand we've been dealt so far. So I suppose you've got to cop it on the chin. Hope he has a good game. He's going to be... I might just... Go. Sorry, John. I was just, I was just going to... I might just add to that as well, you know, because there's definitely some talk online through the Twitter feed and, you know, um, some speculation behind Isaac's selection because Wonga was selected as 18th man against the Dolphins. I wouldn't take him being selected as 18th man against the Dolphins as, you know, um, oh, th- there's suddenly been a, a, a immediate shift in the in the um, the pecking order or anything like that. Um, to your point, Wonga is still, I, I don't think Wonga is still 100% and there's probably some comp, you know, confidence or lack thereof about him getting through any minutes at NRL. And they want to see him, because of the, um, the more recent cup game that he played where he only played uh, one half mm. against um, against Blacktown. I think they want to see him get through eighty minutes there before they take him really for consideration for NRL. And so yeah, like I yeah. said, that, that's the hand you're being dealt. And I think the, probably the more concerning thing for me because Wanga, uh, Wanga, sorry, Isaac is he's either going to do a job or he's not. Like yeah, it's a bit binary there. Like uh, the, the opposition is probably going to target him because he's going to be deemed to be the weak link in the back line because he's not the regular first grader. That's common sense. But the big thing for me is that. No Mitchell Moses, no Quentin Gufferson. Goal kicking options A and B are gone, so we are mm. we need to pull something out of the hat here, and it might end up being the guy that's replaced Gufferson with the fullback role in Sean Russell that gets a nod, uh, who you know in the past has been quite a good goal kicker, but he hasn't been responsible for goal kicking for a long time. Sixties. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be him, unless they feel that they're better to go with someone like Dejan, um, who. I believe can kick, but outside of those two, uh, Brent, Brendan Hands can also kick. He didn't. He did quite a bit of kicking through the junior ranks um, at at Penrith and inside that he's been in as well. So he might be an outside option as well. Well, it did look like just as I was leaving training today, and the the players were at the end of extras. There did seem to be a little bit of a gold kicking competition going on with uh, about three players. Now, that could have simply been for coffees or <laughs> wines or whatever the case may be, as as uh, would sometimes happen at the end of Eels training, especially in the in the years of um, uh, Fergo and uh, Michael Jennings <laughs> and, um, and, and Gutho and Junior, where the competition would be intense for bragging rights of sideline conversions. But... Um, yeah, there there was a, a little bit of a, a kicking duel going on, and but I guess the fact that all of those kicks seem to be coming from the sideline made me think it was probably for coffees or something like that. <laughs> um, now moving on to one of the other big pieces of news this week was the Dylan Brown breach notice. Now we flagged last week that we wouldn't know more about what was happening until this week when it would be most likely that the NRL would hand down a breach notice and then the club would have, I think it's five days to respond to the breach notice. And in essence, the breach notice is saying that 
It's a seven-game suspension with three games already served. It's a $40,000 fine with 20000 of it suspended pending Dylan adhering to uh, a uh, prescribed uh, education courses that he's expected to undertake and, of course, adhering to behaviour standards that they deem necessary a bit of there's a bit of talk around about maybe there's some other things that the the club might ask Dylan to do around education or uh, rehabilitation if you want to call it that as well. But uh, I, I guess there's nothing much more to say other than it, the the processes are pretty much at the towards the end of running their course. Um, you know, really the finalisation is how Parramatta and Dylan Brown respond to that. But I think given what we've had so far where we've had the guilty plea and um, the um, contrition um, that, and the statement from the Eels, I think it's more than likely that the uh, decision will be accepted and everyone move forward from there. Any other different thoughts on that, fellas? Look, no... Um... I actually think John John put it best last week um, when we spoke about this, and you know, um, Dylan has to own it, and he and and you know he he has verbally acknowledged, and now it's about going through um, through everything that he has to as a part of um, ad- addressing the breach notice. So, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, um, the matter um, once um, has been responded to. Um, it becomes exclusively a club matter, and 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 how we manage Dylan moving forward, and you know, all that happened behind closed doors. Yep, John. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and moralise about uh, whether I, you know, the the sentence length was right or wrong. Um, you know, reflective of NRL things, I think it falls roughly in the ballpark of some of the other uh, past incidents that uh, have been on a similar scale. Um, I know that a lot of neutrals wanted it to be longer. Um, and if it had been, I wouldn't have been upset because uh, going back to what we talked about before, boys, putting yourself in that sort of situation, you open yourself up to those sort of punishments. Um, but again, for me, the big thing would be making sure that he becomes a better person for it, and that's where I hope the club really puts its foot down in terms of those uh, you know, programs to help better himself and help learn from this and help become uh, a more responsible adult. And not just that, but to also be someone that can then help other people to not you know do stupid things like he did. So, yeah. He's got four more games uh, to sit out, and that's going to potentially hurt the Eels uh, in a big way. I know Dejan's doing a fantastic job, but he could have been working with Dejan in this game uh, if he hadn't done something really, really stupid. So yeah, you know, he's going to have to reflect on that. And look, he, he knows he let the team down, and the the boys know that too, and they're going to hold him accountable for it. But you know, he has to, like I said, own it, and the, the team just has to pick up the slack while he's out. Yeah, and, and I guess uh, if Dejan's good form continues, it, it might be an interesting decision for BA to make. But mm-hmm. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, next bit of news is actually NRLW news because we have a trial this Friday night at Granville Park. So it's a home match trial for the Eels NRLW team. That's their HQ out there. They've got their dedicated area at the at the venue which they share with the two blues 
but they do have their an area which is exclusively the Eels NRLW team's domain. They're taking on the St George Dragons. Kickoff, I believe, is at 7pm on Friday night, so uh, might be a good match for Eels fans to get out to. If not, uh, we'll provide a live blog of the action from Granville Park. Um, I guess we're awaiting team lists, that sort of thing. But, um, John, you're looking forward to that one? Yeah, I mean, very excited about how the new NRLW team's going to shape up. Um, we've had a little bit to do with uh, Shah Henry recently, who is a big part of that squad, and it's hard not to be infected by her uh, enthusiasm and optimism because, you know, it's a very exciting process for them. They've now got multi-year contracts for their core players. They've got new faces to help reshape this team. And, yeah, we're going to, like we said, going to learn a lot about them in the first few weeks uh, starting now from the trials to the, the first few weeks of the competition. And, yeah, it's very, very exciting. And, Clint, it's certainly a different aspect about the extended NRLW season that their preseason can include a trial game so that they've got that chance to um, have a bit of a tinker with combinations before they hit round one, something that they haven't been able to do in these uh, previously abbreviated uh, premierships. Yeah, look, it, it's um, in typical trial fashion as well. I think the game's going to consist of um, three, three uh, 20-minute periods. So, you know, you'd imagine the squad gets rotated around and different combinations um, tried um, throughout the game. Because that's what it's for. And, you know, the, the season prop is only going to benefit from this. You know, we've seen in the NRL the W season today, and, you know, I, I think we've said it before as well, you know, um, with it being abbreviated, it takes it takes a couple of weeks for some teams to hit, um, to hit their straps. And um, you know, our goals were an example of that last season. You know, not only winning in, in, in the last round. So, you know, um, really good opportunity to um, to blow out some of the cobwebs for some of those players. And obviously, a couple of them have been selected for, for New South Wales um, uh, origin in um, Kennedy and and Rachel. Um, but you know. Um, It'd be really interesting to see the, the, the makeup of this team and, you know, um, get a little bit of a, an insight into um, the dilemma that now sits ahead of Dean Witters. And, look, another piece of good news, too, is that on the NRLW front, we knew that last year the NRLW, Eels NRLW team was self-sufficient in that um, the income from sponsorship uh, partnerships, um, the revenue side of it meant that the uh there, there was um the team basically covered there but much like the nrl team you know where the nrl team was operating on a profit the the nrlw team was um met their met their costs with their uh revenue with their income and to that end i mean congratulations to the eels commercial partnerships team headed by andrew McHale. And they've added Cook's Plumbing to the commercial partnership team for the NRLW competition this season. So welcome aboard to Cook's Plumbing Supplies. And uh, it's I'm sure it's going to be a beneficial partnership for both the Eels NRLW team and also for Cook's. Uh, now, still on this um, on representative selection... Um, just something that I wanted to talk about, boys, was we had the New South Wales under-19 selections. John, we've got, I believe, three players 
mm-hmm. in the uh, in the New South Wales under nineteen team. We thought we might have ended up with some Queensland representation and, as well. well honestly, for, maybe a couple more New South Wales reps too. I thought we were a little bit hard done by at a couple of positions, but you still take three reps for New South Wales as a pretty good uh, result. Yep. So, would you like to run through that for our listeners who who's been successful for our wheels? Yeah. So, no surprises leading off the Parramatta representation. Ethan Sanders at halfback. Um, he was very close last year, six as we know. He um end up getting uh, overlooked for Jonah Pezzett, who's since gone on to play a bit of NRL. Um, so yeah, he was up against some pretty handy competition there, but he just missed out. Uh, but alongside Ethan is the captain of the Premiership squad and Charlie Geimer. Uh, he'll be up there on the edges, and then on top of that, you got Big Sam Torvati who has been outstanding for the Eels for a number of years. He is an absolute mountain of a young man, and I reckon he'll do pretty good at this level too. But uh, the guys I thought were pretty hard done by, Buds, Matt Arthur, um, he's been overlooked for a couple of rep squads now this year, uh, from schoolboys to to this one. So he's probably uh, copping a, a bit of a tax on his name, it feels like. And uh, Saxon Pryke. Was that um, De Silva? Did no, Talon De Silva is not in this team, so it's not like he was overlooked for Talon either. So I, I honestly don't know. Um yeah, so very, very hard done by there. I thought Saxon Pryke also very unlucky. He's been outstanding uh, again for a couple of years for the Eels and has played um, not just 19s grade, but also 21s and been very good at 21s level. So, yeah, um, once again, there's a little bit of politics and balancing that goes into these squads. You can't just have the Premiership team dominating with, you know, five, six, seven selections, but the Eels did have a couple of guys that could have been in there. Um, in terms of the Queensland selection, 60s, Eels now we're missing out on a couple of fronts, you've got to think. Uh, Josh Lynn, the other half's partner for the Eels in the SG Bourne, now Jersey Flegg. He should have gone close, but probably just missed out. Um, and we've got a couple of the other boys like uh, uh, Lance Fulima. Um, trying to think who else uh, would have been eligible from that squad because we had a couple of big boys there too. Um, Devont- yeah, well, Devonta- LeBron was Vivella. Yeah, LeBron was yeah. injured, yeah. So that's that's fair enough there. But uh, Devonta Vivella had a really good finish to the season. Uh, he was probably Arpa, unlucky there. Yeah, Arpa, Arpa Tweedle was a, a good shout there. Um, yeah, Will, uh, Will, Will Lewis, was, yep, uh, who was uh, yep, good, very good yep. for the on the edges as well. So, yeah, a, a little bit miffed that we didn't get any Queensland representation, especially when they did pick from other Sydney clubs too. Uh, but that's our break sometimes. But, yeah, well done to the three boys that did earn selection. Uh, I imagine they're going to do a fantastic job representing New South Wales. Uh, and, yeah, very excited seeing them. Uh, feature in both the flag and maybe beyond in the coming weeks for some of them. Yeah, I, look, I was I was quite surprised with uh, Matty Arthur missing out because uh, I can't think of too many games this season where his where he was outplayed by any opponent. As a matter of fact, I don't know that there was a game where his opponent outplayed him, and certainly through the final series with all the big guns. Um, he came out on top of uh, of all of those clashes. So Richard Penasini, a little bit unlucky, unlucky too, there. honestly. Yeah. Like Sorry, a, what was that? Richard Penasini, pretty unlucky as well. He's been very good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, actually, yeah, good point too, The uh, Richie Penasini, because... He's gone up the flag um, and has done a really good job up there. He's been a consistent try scorer and looked really good there. So, um, And obviously, Blaze Talung is injured, so that that's a you know understandable why he wasn't in consideration. But, yeah, for, for a team that won the Premiership, you know, three players is probably on the lower side of representation, I'd say. Uh, but, you know, once again, that's the break. Sometimes there's other guys that are, are talented. Sometimes there's some balancing acts that go in for the selection protocols. Yeah, but, uh, uh, of course, Clint, the, um, we would have been viewing this much the same as, the, um, as we do with the NRL because had we had more 
selections that were uh, successful, uh, Breno would have been without even more players <laughs> for the Jersey Flex. Well, they, they have, as we so record guess, on Tuesday night, they haven't got a team up yet, so they're trying to figure out yeah, what they're the, doing, the, I think. The poor, the poor man, poor Breno's probably going through um, um, through A to Z of his, um, his phone contact list at the moment to try and fill out the side because... Um, you know, the, um, uh, again, you know, one of those bittersweet moments, and and, and certainly for for our Jersey Flake side, is these guys go um, get some um, some great representation at, and and playing higher honors. But you know, it means that we're a, we're a little bit short in in our um, um, in in our pool of players to, to to pick from. You know, look, we we, we joke a little, and there will be a side that that takes the field. But um, yeah, look, you know. Um, just to add to what you boys said, you know, it, it's 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 always a tremendous honour for anyone of that age to to get that type of recognition. And you know, more often than not, the players that make these sides are, are generally indication of of who's being earmarked for first grade and who's who's considered on the development pathway to first grade. So you know, um, for some Eels fans who may not be um, as familiar with some of these names. I would encourage that you watch this game and keep an eye out for our boys. Um, certainly some guys to keep an, uh, an eye on for the future. And while we're at it and congratulating uh, our 19-year-old players in the uh, Eels, we should mention that there is uh, the women's under-19s interstate match coming up on the... What was that date again, John? Uh, Thursday the 13th. So Thursday week, next Thursday when the... Uh, um yeah, next Thursday, sorry, what I'm saying, next Thursday, uh, they'll be taking place, and I believe it'll be live stream on New South Wales Rugby League TV, and the Eels, oh, it's at Cal, KO Stadium in Redcliffe, not KO, it's not on KO, it's at KO Stadium, uh, so it's in Redcliffe, <laughs> Thursday the 13th of July, uh, haven't got a time here though, I was like, but usually they sort of kick off around 5.30, 6 o'clock in, in my uh, sort of past knowledge, and in that team we do have one representative in Lindsay Tui, who was outstanding this year in Natasha Gale, an absolutely devastating ball runner at centre, so well done to Lindsay uh, for making selection in the New South Wales 19 squad. And just as we wrap up the Eels news segment, just a shout out to uh, Shah and Milor who run the Parramatta House. Uh, some of these young players are, uh, both of those people have, have involvement with them, either living, they're either living in the Parramatta House. We've got four uh, young blokes from Queensland who are, are living in there. Uh, that being Will and LeBron and Lance and Ethan. And uh, Shah also is the uh, assistant coach of the Tasha Gale Cup team and the blue shirt for the NRLW team, as well as being a house parent with her partner, Milor. And, um, yeah, as I said, shout out to them for all the great work they did and also for hosting us there for a barbecue on Sunday. We really appreciated that. Uh, thank you. We will have a, an upcoming story on the Parramatta House for all of our readers and listeners uh, in the near future. So now, fellas, NRL news. And we've touched on it, but let's now start getting all those barbs ready and the New South <laughs> Wales origin team selections. We've touched on it, but I want to I want to start off here, and I, I wrote about it in a spotlight post. Seven changes 
seven changes to the New South Wales team. Now, there were two that were forced via injury, but five changes. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you and I'm quite happy to be launching this criticism here because right at the start of our Origin series, when we were debating team selections, and when I was speaking, I said... I wouldn't be making changes now. This was even after the Origin 1 because I said, once you pick the players for your Origin squad, unless you have injuries, you need them to be able to have that time to develop as a squad. You need to show faith in the players that you've selected and that that is you're basically going all in on those players. If, you're, if you've done your due diligence and you've picked the best players that are there, then you shouldn't be worried about chopping and changing after every game. Because can you imagine if an NRL coach was making uh, all sorts of changes after each match? I think we know where those teams would be positioned on the ladder. When you do look at some of the teams that are positioned down the bottom of the ladder, that's been a feature for them as well. Because... They can't find a team that's that you know from their original squads that they've put together. So, fellas, that's my take. Too many changes, John. <laughs> I could uh, I could use some very strong language in this segment if I uh, didn't control <laughs> myself. Uh, I'm going to start off with saying that this is a team that has an identity crisis. They don't know what they want. They they've picked a mix of let's win this game and stop the sweep and let's uh, build for the future. But they've done it in the wrong places. So we've got Cody Walker coming in at 5'8". And look, Cody Walker's enjoying a terrific NRL season right up there at the top of Tri-Sys. And he's obviously a great uh, NRL player. He's 34 years old. What, what what merit is there to picking a 34-year-old for a dead rubber? I mean, it's been a bit of a pity party for Nico Hines across the last four or five weeks, but why is he not at 5'8"? Like, this is the perfect game to get him into 5'8 and give him a shot at helping run the show of Mitchell Moses. You know they they drop. Yeah, and can I can I come back again because I want to. We referenced it before where Greg, Greg Alexander said that people were being rude and disrespectful for questioning the selection of Bradman Best, and I said before, surely what's being rude and disrespectful is throwing out players who you've barely used, yep. and saying we need to win this game. That's why we're bringing in player X instead. And like like you're pointing out now with Nico Hines, he got thrown in into an unfamiliar position in in game one and on the basis of that was thrown out. Mm-hmm. And now when there's a position that's come up in the halves and, you know, they Mitch Moses won that first shot at it and uh, due to injury, however, that was due to injury, right? Now, people were saying, well, should have stuck with Nico Hines there. That's, that, is, that is up there for debate, and it's, and it's reasonable to suggest that. But now that we're too deep in the halves, not one deep, we're too deep, we're seeing a similar situation to what happened with Regan Campbell-Gillard last mm-hmm. year, where a player that was selected in game one, they don't just skip them for the next game. They're going past them well down the pecking order. Yep. So why were they selected in the first place? <laughs> exactly. Surely that's disrespectful. That's more disrespectful than saying, what's your basis of selecting 
uh, Bradman best was it you know this one game so mm -hmm. sorry for interrupting there mate but it's it like we're seeing a pattern aren't we oh 100 percent like, it, it's just wild, wildly inconsistent like they just like I said this this team and the selectors don't know what they want um you know you go to Josh Adokar's inclusion he's been terrible this series yet junior Barlow was the casualty you know a guy that had a very good game one and game two yeah he was quiet but none of the New South Wales forwards stood up in the middle east uh, you know, in the, the the rush back, Jake Boyevich, and once again, we, we we speak very highly of Jake as an individual, as a club level player. But odds are he's going to bang out twenty five tackles and you know ten runs for fifty six meters, and the media's going to love it. Um, yeah, know, yeah. You know, Reg being back there is good. I got no issues with that. I actually like the starting back row. I think Liam Martin and Keon Kalamatangi, good edge picks there. Um, I actually like Cameron Murray starting at lock forward. I got a huge rap in his eye, yo. But the way they use my origin is essentially pen of football and it doesn't work. Um, I think Murray's... And can I say there, and I want to say there to that end, I hope they use Reg in the right way. Well, that that's... He, he, you know what, Craig? He's a prop forward. There is almost no way you can use him the wrong way. But if a team could, it would be the New South Wales Blues. So, <laughs> uh, but then you come back to it. And this is something, we, regardless of whichever game is being we've spoken about, what is going off the bench? What is going off the bench? You've got a, a backup dummy half, or a rotation dummy half, sorry. You've got a utility back, and you've got two forwards. How are you going to win the middle with that bench? You know, the, I, I saw uh, the conversation on 360 being about how the, the New South Wales need to cover the back line. They need to have the, the two dummy halves like Queensland. You, you can't do it that way. You just, you just can't. You have, at some point, you've got to bite the bullet and say, there's going to be places you cannot cover uh, if we want to actually win the game where it needs to be won in the middle. And if you do want to cover those spots, there are players you can pick. Like another player that was one and done, a certain Parramatta Eel. You know who covers the centres, the halves, the back row in the middle? Ryan Madison. You know, if you want to have your utility on the bench, pick him or pick someone like him. But instead, we're, I mean, we love Guffo, and Guffo's going to go out there and give it his all. But you pick Guffo in a starting back line or you don't pick him. What is he doing on the or, – or you have one dummy half. It's one or the other. You can't have both. Like, you're just asking to get absolutely hammered through the middle. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this. It is absolute insanity. Um, and, and the way that they've carried themselves, Fittler and Alexander, in regards to the, the most light of criticism or questioning about their selection processes and what it got exposed for, like, there, there should be articles about the fact that Will Pettersini wasn't even considered. Not because he should have been picked, but it just shows you, again, how bad the process is. And, uh, yeah. So they've gotten a little bit right here, but a lot wrong. I feel like at this point, I should be bringing Yoko in to give her takes on Fiddler and you Alexander. Know what? She gets Origin better than they do, and she's a Kiwi that doesn't even care that much about rugby league. <laughs> so, Clint, let's throw to you now. Are you got both barrels ready to fire off? <laughs> yeah, look, you can say I'm locked and loaded, but I won't. Uh, I won't. I won't shoot all bullets out of the chamber here, gents. But um, you know, it, it, it kind of feels like you know, and I can go from a number of different angles here. One of those angles is it seems like the selectors like their shiny toys, you know, um, and um, you know, I've likened it to the old um, the old uh, adage, I guess you could you could say, you know of putting a toy in a, in a kid's cot, uh, they want to play with it. They see that you've got a, you're a toy of your own. They're, some, uh, uh, they're now suddenly don't, do not care about the toy in their cot. 
you switch that out and then they only care about the toy that you've got. You know, it kind of feels that way with some of these selections and and, and the baby's um, well and truly been thrown out with the bathwater with selections over the last three, three or four seasons. You know, we've seen a number of uh, Freddie one game wonders, if you want to call them as such, or one series wonders. Um, and then, um, and then um, uh, some of the players that have been parachuted back in for this game, it, oh, it, 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 it's just very nonsensical. Um, yeah, and I, I think John summed up very, very nicely when he said there's, there's an identity crisis, absolutely. But I'm going to repeat one of the points that I said before and say this about the team. I said it about our guys that were selected, but also um, the, the, the players in, in the one New South Wales squad have been selected. If they weren't good enough for Freddie when it mattered, then he doesn't deserve them to uh, deserve to have them help him save face and the New South Wales selectors save face um, when um, w w when it no longer matters. You know, it, like of course those guys are going to say yes and and um, accept the honour of representing their state, but um, you know it, it just doesn't sit right with me personally, gents. What about um, what I, about poor? We talked about Junior getting done dirty. But what about poor Stefano Otoikamanu? Who they've talked up for minutes. years, talked up for years as the future for the Blues in the middle. They gave him twelve minutes, like you said, Quint, and what a shock! He didn't for, he didn't dominate in a period where New South Wales didn't have the ball and weren't doing well as a team. And now they've been wrestled, and you know, and Brandy's coming off excuses as to why he got dropped, and you know how they, they hope they could have showed more in that twelve minutes, but you know now they need to win the game. It's like they would need to win the game in game three. Why are you picking him then for game two? Mm. Like either Absolutely. he's good enough to play Origin or he isn't. And he's yeah. good enough. He's good enough to play Origin, Stefano. I've got a huge rap on him. I mean, yeah. I, I, I rate him You've got to pick whether he's good enough or whether he isn't at this point. And whichever one it is, you've got to die by that choice. Yeah. You can't just then suddenly go, oh, oh, you know what? Actually, wasn't feeling this. Like, I, to to be perfectly honest, and I'm going to be a bit blunt here, gents. It kind of it kind of feels like the 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 selection of the New South Wales team is largely dependent on how good of a, uh, a bathroom break Brad Fittler, Greg Alexander, and Andrew Johns had that morning. You know? And it's, it, it really, really does. You know? And like if we've seen some of you know, um, Junior and Stefano were, um, were casualties of that this time round. Um, you know, you, uh, going back to um, Ryan Madison and, and, and RCG last year as well, they were casualties after game one. A very narrow loss in game one, as I might add. Um, you know, it's it, it, it shouldn't be like that. But you know, if we, we we circle back to the demeanor in which you know you touched on both um, Freddie and also Brandy in the media already, you, you had you had Andrew Johnson to that mix as well. It, it's it's just been a little bit of a circus um, mm -hmm. in in terms of um, in terms of their demeanor and their de and defensive demeanor at that. You know, every everything is a, is a justification, but I don't think they quite understand why people are asking the question in the first place, and that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is that the the criticisms aren't coming from supporters of clubs that feel disgruntled that their players weren't selected, and although we touched on you know how incredulous we. We were about uh, Will Penasini not being in discussions. Um, we're very straightforward in saying how on earth Campbell Graham wasn't selected at centre is beyond us. And you know what? As like anyone that starts saying that you know New South Wales 
performance this year was uh, impacted by injury. You know, we we didn't really get to use Latrell Mitchell or Tom Travojevic or or what have you. I look at that and I go, well, look, Latrell Mitchell was arguably at fullback prior to Origin at in better form than James Tedesco, right? So he probably would have been or should have been the fullback selection. If you didn't select him at fullback, then who are you going to select? Well, then uh, Freddie's actually said it week in, week out, Gutherson as the fullback. But no, what we end up with is trying to squeeze in fullbacks into the centre positions, which then it's... See, it takes it all away from the old adage about the... Well, the old ways that teams were selected for representative football... That was, it was a reward for you being the best in your position throughout the season to that date. And yes, there'd always be the there'd always be some selection debate, but you were essentially getting the players who perform well in their selected position. And as soon as you've got players being selected out of position or bench selections that can't possibly cover injuries, what do you know? We've got problems. And that's basically been the whole problem from the start. Players aren't being selected on form. Players are being selected out of position. And the general public, including experts with their takes on it, are absolutely baffled by the selections that have been uh, decided upon this year and then when we get, as you say, to this last game and we've got seven changes to the team and you just shake your head. The The other side of the coin is that Billy Slater was a more recent origin and NRL player, mm-hmm. that he was always a, an absolute student of the game. Now, Brad Fittler was a freak of a player an absolute freak of it. You know, he was a generational talent. As a coach, he hasn't He hasn't been... He was an NRL coach. When was it? Up till about 2012? Well, he had he a was, couple oh, of years. I think it was in 2008 that he was at the Roosters. Might have been 2008, 2009. And then okay, Brian so Smith came in as his replacement. Uh, that's it. Yep, yep. I was forgetting about Brian Smith. So Brian Smith immediately preceded Trent Robinson, um, and yes, yeah. took over from from Freddie. So we're we're talking about um, getting towards fourteen, fifteen years that uh, that Freddie had been involved at a at a club level, been some time since he was a player, and you have someone who's a little bit more recent in um, Billy Slater. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about that recency in terms of that, you know, like the value of that, um, because the game has changed a lot in a very short period of time. And um, I think there's an appreciation of that and what's needed these days. So um, that's that's something that, um, you know, is is probably food for thought when they're looking at who do they bring in? Like, should they replace Fittler? Who do they bring in to replace him? Now, speaking of origin identities, 
I want to put on my Phil Gould voice here and ask you <laughs> about about your takes on the thrashings experienced by Bulldog and Tiger. <laughs> I'm, omitting the plur- I'm omitting the plurals. Gus doesn't like plurals. So talk to me about Bulldog and Tiger, please, John. Oh, man, like, whew. I mean, you knew the Cowboys Which was had- the worst? Can I just start? Which was the worst hiding oh, out of the two? The Bulldogs, because the Cowboys are a legitimately good team. Um, and also, they had cowboy. The cowboy, cowboy. Is the a, cowboy is a legitimately good team. Yes, the cowboy. <laughs> uh, and they would have had that game circled for for months or weeks, whatever the difference was. When they got absolutely embarrassed at Leichhardt over, you knew that Todd Payton and the entire brains uh, trust of the Cowboys would have had that one circled and put it on the boys' balls and board material. That can never happen again. You're going to exercise those demons when we play them again. And yeah, everything stuck for them. They they played some fantastic ball uh, football, but like every pass, every flick ball, every round the corner pass stuck. So on the flip side, Newcastle have been going dreadful, and you know they're not a good roster. And the Bulldogs were at home, and had plenty of fans there, and they just, I mean, they end up nearly getting run. Like the what was even more impressive is that the, the night started slower than the. The Cowboys and still nearly got them in the second half. Like they had two tries taken away, one of which was a, a certain try, uh, and yeah, nearly would have had them. So yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is that the West. I mean, it sounds so mean, but the West Tigers are the West Tigers. Like everyone knows that that they suck, and that they suck at a fundamental level from the front office to the football department. The Bulldogs, as we've spoken about before, for over half a decade now. They're going to be the next big thing. They're going to make the finals. They've got the best recruitment. They've got the shiny new coach. You know, they've got the the history and the culture that'll get them through this. And they just keep going from worse to worse to worse. And you know, Reed, God bless him, made some very. Uh, he did not read the room when it came to that post match press conference. Uh, he made some very uh, poor use a very poor choice of words uh, when telling fans what they can and can't do. Uh, <laughs> supporting their team. Yeah. Um, Clint, same question to you. Which was the worst defeat? Oh, without that, the Bulldogs, for the reasons that John touched on. Um, but uh, I, might, I might just add, um, who had in their NRL bingo this year, the West Tigers beating a side 66 to 18, um, but losing in the head-to-head on, uh, on differential. Um, my goodness. It, 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 they could be the only team in NRL history to achieve that feat. Um, if imagine, you if you could get a, imagine if you could get a bookmaker who could write you a ticket. Like, if you knew what you knew now, the, the day after the Tigers thrash the Cowboys, that you go to a bookmaker and you say, I want to take <laughs> the Cowboys to win... 60 plus in the return match. What odds yes, do you think win- they've given you? I mean, they're probably going to think, well, it's the West Tigers. I can't really give them an answer. <laughs> what if you, if you got them you before know? the West Tigers, the West Tigers thrashing the first time and said, look, I've got a two leg better one a place. Tigers to absolutely destroy the Cowboys and the <laughs> Cowboys to then uh, absolutely bury them in the return match. I mean, you'd, you'd be getting impossible odds. No, I mean, the bookie might actually just say, I can't take that bet. It's too insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
yeah, sorry, what, we, we all, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what, if you, if you were to find a, a bet that exotic, we could all put down $1 and um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure we didn't in, increase our um, property portfolios exponentially <laughs> in the process. <laughs> but yeah, look, the, I, I actually didn't catch um, the Bulldogs game live on the weekend. Um, coincidentally enough, I was driving down from the Hunter back into Sydney um, but I, I, I watched, um, I watched the mini on it and there were some horrible, horrible efforts or, or tackle attempts in the middle of the field in that game. And, you know, um, you touched on there, John, about some of Reed's comments, um, being, um, mistimed, ill-advised, not reading the room. Um, yeah, you know, um, look, it, there, 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 there's a certain time and place where players do get to call out fans' behaviour. And, you know, I'm certainly not an advocate of um, of abuse towards the players in any in any um, any measure, in, 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 in any, um, any way that you label it. Um, but when they're the paying customer, they do deserve to exercise their right and their opinion about the quality of the product. Um, you know, yeah, there's, and, a, there's a huge difference between booing at the ground and, you know, going after someone on in, you know, in terms of, in person and social media, all the stuff that we see that we don't condone. Mm. But like you said, you're you're paying at the very least to get into that game. You're a paying customer. Uh, you're most likely a ticketed member or a member. So you know when the team puts in or doesn't put in the way they did on the weekend, yeah, you got to let that's their right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and look, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that by saying, you know, none of the three of us are that type of type of member yeah, or supporter exactly. um you know and, and it's certainly not behavior that that i condone you know you although if if, if you have frequented um Combake stadium you will uh, jokingly hear me uh, uh shout out from the stands every time the opposition comes out burns it's true um, I, classic, can, I can vouch for it yep yeah classic simpsons reference um, so, so if you hear if you hear that echoing a michael cronin stand at Combank stadium that's yours truly um you know, um, but jokes aside, you know, it's, 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 it's not something that I, I personally like to see. But, you know, you can understand and empathise the position um, that some of those fans that were doing that um, have um, in choosing to do that because it's the only way that they can communicate that they weren't happy with what they saw. And when you see the scoreline and you see the missed tackle rate, you know, we don't doubt that the, the Bulldogs players were trying, but... Um, you know, and, and, and to Reed's comments, you know, it's not as though that they weren't. Um, but that being said as well, you, you've got to do a little bit more than try when you're in the, the, the top tier, in the top echelon of sport, which the NRL as a professional sport in, in this country is, you know. So um, I'm, I imagine there's a bit of soul searching that's taking place at Canterbury this week. They'll, they'll, they'll try and dust themselves off and and, you know, um, put the game in the rearview mirror as quickly as possible in terms of the way that they communicate it to um, the media. But, you know, a, a loss like that to a poor side in the nights at home, ah, oh, geez, that's, that, that's really, really got to dent your confidence and then some when you're a club that is trying bloody hard to rebuild their identity. And Cameron Serraldo, he's probably escaped some criticism in this one, but he made a pretty baffling decision to swap the centres around uh, mm. prior to taking on the Knights there and, uh, you know, take guys away from their preferred edges. And, look, he's a rookie head coach, and God knows, I mean, coaching the NRL is hard. Like, it is hard. And you can be the best assistant mm. coach 
uh, and an absolute, like, like an actual genius at like you know strategy and tactics. But when it comes to the actual you know doing the NRL stuff, it's so tough, and uh, it's not it's way too early to write him off. But geez, he's having those uh, real tough rookie uh, period right now. You know, trying to bring the dog the dogs around as a club. And you can absolutely see um, Gus um, shielding him from that as well. You know, you'd imagine that's part of um, the development plan they have there for him. And, you know, they don't, uh, you know, Gus, Gus being the experienced operator that he is, has definitely stepped into the media over the course of the, um, the last few days to take some of that heat because he can handle it. And also because he knows it's not going to be directed squarely at him. But, you know, you, you'd hope that there's some type of response from the Canterbury side if you're a Canterbury supporter this week. And, you know, they have a good opportunity um, this weekend playing a origin-depleted South Sydney side to um, to turn their fortunes around. You know, a, a win for them would, 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 um, would do a world of good for their um, their goodwill. They have made supporters. a splash in the market too. They've gone out and signed uh, forgotten Gold Coast Titans half Toby Sexton. So they actually might have a halfback now instead of... Uh, you know, five apes or whatever else have been putting into the halves the last uh, few months. So, I mean, Toby had a, a pretty good season, was it two, three years ago? I, honestly, the, the fall of time eludes me now. Uh, but he had a bit of a breakout season for the Titans going back a little bit and then fell like well behind uh, the, the rest of the uh, playmaking core there. Mm. I, I remember it, as well um, him playing um, in, in our season opener for 2022. Um, playing a hand in a number of tries in that uncomfortably tight uh, round one game we had against the Titans at Combank. So, you know, look, there's there's a player there to work with, but um, you know, he's um, he's he's coming into a side that's not feeling the best about themselves. Yeah, look, my my take on those performances is that they are reflective of where those clubs are at. The the Tigers, as we know, have lurched from one issue to another and we suspect that their issues aren't finished the bulldogs there's something in the players psyche or the club psyche that is uh, they need to get rid of somehow some way i mean from the tigers perspective it probably starts at the very top where they have to fix things with their executives and then it then it becomes a whole club identity thing as far as I'm concerned because you can't I don't think you can have a club playing out of three different venues no. and and no. and then on top of that have their their HQ even away from those three areas. So it, it just it not it's even, really not really it's in Strathfield. It's in Strathfield. I mean yeah, yeah. It's, it's right next door to me. And I mean Bill Strathfield's yeah. a great place to be in the inner west but it's you know, your your Leichhardt, your Campbelltown. Like uh. Yeah. Yeah, it just it, it makes no sense. But yeah, that's I guess that's where they're at at the moment. But yeah, the Bulldogs um you know, they couldn't have a anyone more high pro, high profile than Phil Gould or experienced than Phil Gould in that head of football position. Uh, he's reportedly extremely well remunerated. But now with the, the struggles continue, it, it makes you feel even more for uh, previous coaches from uh, Dean Pay through to uh, Trent Barrett and um, to Mick Potter. Mm -hmm. and, and you think, how have their resumes been marked as head coaches mm. in, uh, in a club 
or with a group of players that, for whatever reason, cannot produce what they need to, them to produce or or with a roster that isn't up to scratch now. When you start to talk about thrashings of those of those magnitudes, yeah, they can talk about you can talk about momentum that happens in a game like that. But the other thing that happens in a game like that is that pl- players stop doing the one percenters. Mm-hmm. Players start yeah. looking for shortcuts, and intensity isn't there. And that's all the intangibles, and all those intangibles add up to crap performance and that's the thing they're also the controllables as well yeah you you look at that dog's roster and they're they're really lacking some leadership in that pack uh i mean obviously the spine too uh they're desperately needing a uh well reed is the designated leader yeah but like there is no hard head like josh josh jackson was their last you know i i suppose good tough nut forward and you look at that pack and it's just it's a there's some guys that are doing good uh, uh, Preston's been a real breakout player for them, but um, they, they haven't got anyone to turn to when the going gets tough. Yeah, and I guess from an Eels perspective, uh, supporters look at that and uh, they look at Ice has placed himself in the Tigers and Reed's placed himself at the Bulldogs. And I, I think there's a cautionary tale mm. to play, not just at the Eels, but at any club is that there's choices that have to be made and players have relatively short professional careers and there comes a point where they maybe have to make a decision between money or success or at least being in a uh, a, an extremely competitive team and in an environment where they're essentially happy. And they go into these decisions eyes wide open and you know what if if they make excellent money by going to a club that they're not going to necessarily enjoy success at well good luck to them because they're being well remunerated and they will get that aspect out of their career and why not get that aspect out of their career why not achieve financial freedom out of your football career that i think that's a I think that's a reasonable goal out of football careers, having financial freedom from a short period of time. Um, But there are players also who might want to be someone who, um, you know, is able to play their careers where they are in highly competitive teams or in, in teams where they enjoy their football and enjoy their teammates. And that's the that's what they have to weigh up. What do they want to What do they want to achieve? And how much of a difference is there between the salary that they could achieve at one club compared to the salary they could achieve at another? I'm not going to criticise Reed or Ice in any way, because I think when it comes to their earnings potential, certainly in this short term, they've made the only decision that they could make, but. Who knows what that might impact in terms of future earnings? I guess only time will tell. Anyway, we move on. Zach Lomax, evidently free to leave now from the Dragons. Is that a shock, fellas? 
Um, no. No, I, I suppose I'm, I'm with he's been one of the more vocal dissidents uh, throughout the entire saga with Hawken now moving forwards. Um, problem is for the Dragons is he's not on uh, small coin. And if they're going to want him to move on, they're going to have to come to the table if whoever wants to take him on because I think they're talking about in the vicinity of $800,000 a season uh, for to inherit that contract for at least the next two or three years. So you've just used the word dissidents. So, Clint, I want to throw to you, is it then, if he's being asked, well, being suggested that he leave and find another club, do you think that the Dragons seem as a cancer that they have to cut out? Well, look, I mean, it's a little bit it's, it's a little bit loaded there in, in, in that that's a very easy dot to connect and suggest, but, we, you know, we don't... We don't know for certain whether that's the case, and neither does the media, despite their speculation. What they, what we, um, what 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 it does suggest is that the incoming coach Shane Flanagan doesn't value him at his contract value, and to, to you know to save a little bit of face, I think he came out and said, "No, I do want him at the club." He's like, "Yeah, but you don't want him for you know um, eight hundred k if that's if that's what he's being paid." You know, um, you probably want him at half that, which is probably about his market value at the moment. Um, you know, so to to John's um, to John's point, someone's going to have to come to the party if they take on that contract. Uh, look, you know, you, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as I said, with the New South Wales selections, and you can't. Uh, you know, I. I, I, I I get wanting to come in and be the new coach and and make your mark, um, but at the same time, you know, like as far as we understand, Shane Flanagan's still working at Manly right now as an assistant coach, is he not? So you know, I I, I don't like that this is even being speculated about when he hasn't really stepped in and, and got his feet under the desk at St George. So you know, um, to, to me. To me, he should probably be um, vacating that position at Manly and getting getting ready to get stuck into this job. And look, you know, of course they're having conversations throughout the week and all that. I'm, you know, we're, we're not silly to suggest that that isn't happening. But I just don't like that there's a player, uh, sorry, an official, I should say, that's currently operating across two clubs. And um, and then the conversations like this happen, you know. So I would I would much prefer that Shane was already at the Dragons, um, given that that's who they've um, chosen to go with. And that those these these decisions and these things will be coming out as a part of um, as a part of the process that he's undertaking in his first um, couple of weeks and couple of months there at the club, getting prepared for next year. You know, um, um, to to your question about Zach Sixties, and I know I've waffled on a little bit there. Um, if they do in fact believe that he is a cancer, you know, or not the right culture fit is probably a more appropriate way of describing that. Um, then yeah, they're they're within their rights to. Um, to 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 shop him to rivals and you know, but I, I just don't I just don't like the optics of you know it coming out oh we don't want him and then the head coach is not even there already saying yeah uh, we do want him and it's just you know it, it again it, it's not doing anything if I'm a St George fan that's not doing anything to appease any of the um, the past you know three four seasons of experience that I've had I just look at them and just go oh geez it's the circus continuing. Yeah, well, what we know about Lomax is at his best, he's a genuine match winner. He's got the sort of skills at centre that are elite-level skills. 
but what we've probably seen the last couple of years is maybe he didn't see eye to eye with Hook. We know that Hook dropped him from first grade and and maybe to be fair, his form might have warranted that. But you just got the sense that, well, I think there was plenty around that he wasn't happy at the club this year in general, mm. Zach Lomax. And, and maybe it was a harsh word and and really negative connotations to say, you know, uh, was, was he seen as a cancer at the club? Because that's probably, that is probably too harsh and probably something where I go, you know what, look, let me backtrack on that a bit and just say what you suggested, which is that he doesn't, that how he is within the club doesn't fit with what they would like the culture of the club to be. For you know, for whatever reason, whether it whether it be that he doesn't agree with a lot of decisions that are being made, or he gets too vocal, or maybe he has uh, maybe he has negative negative takes on things where they want someone with a positive mindset, whatever it might be. And I'm only throwing out possibilities. I don't know. It, it might it might well be that he has a whole lot of valid criticisms because goodness knows. The Dragons are hardly setting the world on fire out there mm. in the NRL, either on the field or off the field. And so, having for some time. Yeah, having for some time. So his any gripes that he might have could be uh, incredibly valid, incredibly mm. valid. So, so, yes, it was it was perhaps a harsh word to, to use with that, um, that, with that analogy. What, so, where's a good landing point for him then if he's on the way out? I know there'll be some Parramatta fans clamouring for us to line up for him, but a no. he's a he's not cheap. Uh, I'm not even worried about the character concerns because we've shown that we can, uh, you know, really you know massage them no, into shape. It's a it's a salary cap thing. Yeah, it's a salary cap thing, thing and, and and a value thing. And, and we're getting you know we wouldn't have thought that we probably would have said it you know um, three four months ago, but how good is Bailey going? Yeah, exactly. And Bailey Simonson's red hot form and and extended red hot form too has uh, certainly changed the landscape there. And it's more we need depth rather than, you know, frontline players in that regard, at least mm. in the centres. Um, yeah, w- where is a good landing point for him? He's, he is a talented uh, player, but he's got his flaws. Yeah. He can overplay his hand. He, he hasn't ha- perhaps kicked on as much as they would have hoped. Uh, who wants that sort of contract and that sort of talent? I don't, I don't nope. want to be making suggestions for our rivals here, um, you know, and I, I certainly don't want to be strengthening them. But within that breath, and to answer your question there, John, um, you know, one even one season at Melbourne would would yep. change him completely. Yep, yep, yep. It's it's like uh, well, you probably heard me in the background going Melbourne Storm. Just like <laughs> I, I didn't actually, but um, yeah, it was. But great minds think alike. Sixties. Yeah, uh, look, I. I I believe as well that he would be at, at Parramatta that BA would be able to get Zach Lomax at his best. It would it would require the sort of discipline from Zach Lomax that I guess that that's where there's a question mark about him in terms of you know that that discipline aspect and and by discipline I mean to adhere to coaches instructions out there on the field because we we've, we've seen him push his hand almost to an extent that exceeds Bryce Cartwright at his wildest 
Mm. Um, the, the Bryce Cartwright that's heavily criticised. You you see Lomax trying for those flick passes and and you know the Gidley the Gidley flicks and the uh, you know just the trick plays to try to get the ball to the winger when there's times when it's just best to tuck the ball under the arm, take the tackle. Uh, I think at at Melbourne, he look. I, I guess that they have a they have a club culture, and I'm not saying Parramatta doesn't have this, but they have a club culture of you work damn hard according to how Craig Bellamy tells you to work. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is that expectation. There's that expectation amongst the playing group. Now, how whether that's still in full flight in Melbourne remains to be seen because, you know, we're seeing some fraying around the edges, I think, um, in terms of their performances. But I I would be, I, as I said, I'd also be comfortable that BA could make, could get him to return to his better football. But in you pointing out there as well, Forty, about the form of, of um, Bailey Simonson, it's, you know... Are we after now a top-flight centre or are we after depth? And, of course, the other point to that as well is earlier this year, we were looking at the X Factor. Remember remember those terms of X Factor recruit? And the thinking around that was that Gutherson was going to move to the centre and that they were looking for someone who could spark attack out of fullback. And, of course, Gutherson's answered it as only he can, which is that <laughs> that he's still got plenty to offer. But he was also the one that admitted that was his thought as well. Like, he might be destined to play centre at some point in the near future. We need someone who can really spark something from fullback. So, yeah, look, I, I, I'm on board with what Clint said as well there. Melbourne would be a landing spot. And that'd be the landing spot if I was Zach Lomax. Mm. I'd be looking. I'd be looking at getting there. I think there are a couple of other clubs on top of that where he would, he would possibly be a success. But that that'd be first and foremost. You know what? I think he'd probably be a success at Penrith too. If he, you know, if he went out there and was able to get a start at centre, that's the other thing. Who, I who think would be in the market possibly. for him that wouldn't necessarily be a good landing point for his career, but he can cash in. I mean, there's got to be a few clubs that would be curious. West Tigers. <laughs> West Tigers. Wouldn't they go cap in hand to him? Yeah, I suppose. They, they would have the cap space too, you'd think. Like, they've spent a bit recently, but nowhere near enough to on the top line, you'd hope. So, yeah, that'd be even, even potentially Canberra. Yeah, Canberra, yeah. Yep, yep. That's And you know what? That might even be one where he'd be thinking that'd be a good place for him to get to and maybe being a little bit out of the spotlight in being at a regional centre. So now he's not the only player that is potentially free, although not immediately. We had the contract scenarios where um, potentially Tino Fasua Malaawi and uh, David Fafida could be free to depart the Titans for next year. Yeah, and they had the coach clause, the legendary coach clause. And when Holbrook (laughs) 
God, I mean, God. that is that is wild with those two. And you've already had the reports that that Ricky said will put me down for a million. Yeah, well, because for, the, for the, the, the best part about that is that they courted Canberra courted David Fafita early in the year, and he was a bit of a he wasn't damaged goods, but he was seen as uh, had a, a pretty pronged dip in form, and you know the value had sort of gone down. And since that, since he renegotiated that deal with the Titans and re-signed, he's been in probably career best form. He's been sensational out there uh, on the left edge for the Titans. And now that he's a free agent, Cameron's like, <laughs> get that offer up to a million dollars a season. So yeah, he, he if he wants to, he could cash in. But the big one that surprised me was, uh, I mean, he's pretty much synonymous with the brand now. But Tino Fa'asul Malawi apparently is also going to test the market and maybe squeeze something out of the Titans. Mm. Do you see either of them leaving, Clint? No, not at all. Um, you know, this is this is convenient news, and this is this is the um, this is the gambler cashing in his chips on a high. And I, I, I say that as an analogy, referring to um, their respective managers. So you've got two guys who are probably coming out of the. And let's be honest, you know, the Titans have been um, also ran for a while themselves, and this is probably the best season that these two since joining them have put together. And they're coming off a successful Origin series. Um, they're absolutely taking advantage of the circumstances of um, Justin Holbrook being moved on from the Titans. And, you know, this is absolutely, to um, use the words that John just used um, before, uh, a squeezing exercise. The, the, you know, this is, this is about adding an extra 50, 100, 150K to, to each year of the remaining contracts. Why would you leave the Titans when, you know, the, the team is suddenly on the upward swing? Um, you know, um, there's... Uh, the rumor, um, you know, only a couple of weeks ago, um, of because uh, to me the Ben Hunt saga is far from resolved, and you know the speculation that he'll go there next year, and you know I, I think we're still yet. I don't think we'll see him go anywhere this year, but uh, you know, um, like we kind of speculated about Joseph Suwali going to rugby union the off season, you'd imagine that uh, it's there's still every possibility that Ben Hunt might leave the Dragons at the end of the season, quite possibly to to the Titans. Why would you, um, as as Tino or or David Fafita in this scenario, go? Oh, you know what? Um, despite that, I'm actually going to go elsewhere and and restart all over again. You think at this point, you know, after having um, that Origin success and and starting to um, you know get a couple more wins with the Titans this year already, than, or you know, certainly tracking better than what they have in um, in more recent seasons, that they suddenly go, you know what? I'll go start again somewhere else and. And um, and go back to where I was for the sake of an extra fifty hundred k, um, or you know, extra couple hundred k when I can squeeze an extra fifty hundred k out of my my current contract and not have to move house or 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 go through any of those logistics. Yeah, you know, I I, I think it's absolutely an exercise and just trying to get you know squeeze a little bit more toothpaste um, out of the packet here and and see if the um, if the Titans um, hierarchy are willing to move on that. I think. Yeah. Look, I like this. I like that squeeze analogy. They're, they're doing a bit of squeezing to tone the wallet. I think yeah. if they didn't have as well a credential coach as Des coming in, there probably would have been a little bit of legitimacy to the threat of leaving. For sure. Uh, but Des is a very good selling point for both Tino and David there. Uh, and like you said, Quint, this is just a great opportunity to just you know get it a uh, little bit more money, maybe some and and maybe a, you know some other clauses, not necessarily coach clauses, but. You know some um, you know incentives and whatnot built in and or baked into that contract uh, mm. to make him you know just that much more topped up. Uh, I mean, Canberra is going to have a legitimate tilt at David Fafita. They obviously are, are very uh, uh, entranced by what he can bring to a team. You can you can understand why. I mean, 
we've spoken in the past sixties about what we could do with David Fafita at Parramatta. I mean, if he was put under good coaching, that man would be a weapon consistently. And we, we've seen a nice run of it now. Uh, but imagine if he was surrounded by talent. Uh, but yeah, the, those two seem to be like the core building box of the Titans, and I would be shocked if they let him go. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a fair call. And fellas, that's probably a good point for us to wrap up the podcast this week. Our thanks, of course, to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and also Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And a massive shout out to the home of the Eels, Parramatta Leagues Club, where we will be straight after full time after the big match between the Eels and the Warriors. Come and join us up in Jack's Bar and Grill as we celebrate an Eels win over the Warriors where we show that our strength, our depth, even extends beyond our origin stars. So we'll see you there after the big game. And until then, thank you for listening. Thanks, John and Clint, and go you mighty Eels.